Good evening. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, we'll continue this evening with Sri Jiva Goswami's Paramatma Sandarbha, um, 53rd Anucheda. We're going to read from the commentary to begin this evening's class. Um, again, going into the detailed explanation of what is the Nimitta and Upadan constituents of the Lord's external energy, Bahiranga Shakta, or as what we commonly know, Maya. And basically, when we speak of Maya, generally, we are referring to the Nimitta characteristics, like I'm in Maya, or Maya's influencing me, or Maya's, Maya's got the upper hand. We're not generally thinking of earth, water, fire, air. You know, that's like a given. That's like... Well, that's part of the environment, but Namita is really the the significant aspect that binds us. So I want to read the commentary just because it, it goes a little deeper into the explanation. The instrumental Namita and constituent Upadan components of Maya are being specified in this verse. And remember the verse was that prayer by the Juara or the fever personified to Lord Krishna. Time, destiny, karma, the jiva, innate disposition, subtle matter, the presentational field, the vital force, the empirical self, atma, the modifications of prakriti, the body, the continuous flow in the form of seed and sprout, all these uh, constitute your maya. I take shelter in you, the prohibitor of Maya. It seems kind of strange. I mean, to be praying to the Lord, I'm Jawar, I'm, I'm fever personified. Your fever weapon has just defeated me. And as a prayer, it's not like, thanks for not killing me or, or thanks for defeating me or all glories unto you. It's... These are the constituents of your material energy. <laughs> and you can stop material energy. So it seems rather unique in that regard. As we said, the, the prayers in the Bhagavatam sometimes are, are so pregnant with, with philosophical meaning. One would question, well, why would you approach the Supreme in such a, it seems like, abstract way instead of, what do you want to say, uh, bearing your heart on your sleeve, so to speak, in a prayer to the Lord, you're simply addressing the Lord as a, as a way of uh, praising his various characteristics. And this is like a negative praise. It's like all these things are Maya and then you can stop Maya. So it is interesting from a perspective of the bhakta who's trying to enter in, you know, to, to hear these prayers or to even go to the 10th canto. The prayers, the personified Vedas are just, you know, one philosophical conclusion after another. But it's all for our benefit to, to see, you know, to, to hear these things, uh, these various tattvas. So back to where we wanted to read the detail. Time is that which unsettles the equilibrium of prakriti. 
just imagine no time. There's really no movement within the material energy without this progressive march of time. There's no enactment of karma. There's, I mean, really, time is a principal factor. So it's a principal energy of the, of the active constituent of the Lord's external energy. Without it, everything's in, in suspended animation. And that period of suspended animation is there when the Lord withdraws the material energy back into himself. It's like the jivas and all the ingredients of matter are, are suspended. They actually, there's, there's nothing going on there. Time, of course, is a very instrumental thing. Karma refers to meritorious and unmeritorious deeds, and daiva, or destiny, is the outcome of these actions. Swabhav, or innate disposition, is the unmanifested state of daiva. So we have our destiny, and we have an unmanifested destiny. Now it's interesting, it, it kind of correlates to what we commonly think of as, as karma. In karma, you have the seed, the beej, aprakat, and parabda. Parabda and aparabda karma. And kuta. So you have bija, kuta, aparabda, parabda. You know, these four stages of the, of the, of the manifestation of, of karma. Or the reaction to actions that we may perform. It's kind of interesting. It, it, it seems to be kind of a correlation there, although karma, these, when we look at karma and the, and the fructification of karma, that in itself has its own, its own four constituents. Here we're talking more, and this will come out a little bit more in the next Anucheta, when we see how Jiva Goswami starts to he starts to try to put us in the in the mind frame of really what what is what's the primary force within the material energy and it's it's the force of paramatma we're secondary we're like along for the ride we think we're driving everything but in essence as we mentioned even on the battlefield of Kurukshetra, Arjuna's thinking, I'm going to kill these warriors and they're my family members and my teachers and I just don't want to do it. And Krishna says it's already done. You have a, you have a choice. Either you, either you go along with my program or you don't, but my program is going forward. This is a very, very interesting portion of the Paramatma Sandarbha and the more I read it over again and again, the more it, the more this, this subtlety of what we don't do becomes more prominent than what we do do. We, what we do is we buy into a situation which has nothing to do with our pure self. We buy into it. We completely associate with it. We accept the false ego. 
And the false ego allows us to think we're a lot more than we really are. You know, just like as we mentioned, we're going to make a baby. It's just like, what an illusion. I'm going to, I'm going to build a cor corporation. You know, it's, <coughs> unless all the other pieces fall together, how much can you do? And really, you're not doing, as Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, we're not, he thinks himself the doer of actions that are in reality being carried out by my modes of material nature. So it, it really, what, what we need to see as we go through this is how Jiva Goswami's explaining to us this detailed workings of the Lord's energy and how much we're more a, an observer than a participatory agent. Doesn't mean we don't have any agency. Doesn't mean we don't do anything. But our doing, how much are we doing? What are we? If we go back to the intrinsic qualities that Jiva's already said are the nature of the Jivatma, the Jiva The jiva doesn't have skin and bones. It doesn't have, you know, a mind and intelligence or a false ego. It, it's consciousness. It's awareness. It can have. It's an. It can be an agent. It can have some agency, but the agency is either. The, uh, putting our consciousness into the Lord's external energy or into his internal energy. Now, once we turn it into the, into the external energy, the external energy has all these powers of its own that drives the material energy, starting with time. <laughs> don't, don't take that one energy away from the material energy situation and nothing's going to happen. That energy has nothing to do with the jiva. It's strictly, well, Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, time I am. Mostly what I do is destroy. <laughs> whatever you think you are, whatever, you, whatever you're aspiring to be, whatever, whatever circumstance you're in. Yeah, I am time and it's not gonna it's not gonna be it's not gonna have a good outcome, no matter what the situation <laughs> is. That's material life. What what's what's Maya really have to offer but it's a land of death. Everything dies from 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 our subtle aspirations to our, our gross environment. It's all all falls under this jurisdiction of the external energy. So, really, as we go through this, just to think and see and observe what Jiva Goswami is pulling out from the Bhagavatam and how he's explaining these, 
these instrumental and these physical aspects, constituent aspects of Maya, and how much none of it's us. None of it. But that doesn't mean that the energies, the bewildering potencies, the time energy, the false ego energy, the ignorance energies of Maya are so extremely powerful that we just, we're, we're taken right into this illusory world of I, me, and mine based on what I'm not, what I won't be, <laughs> and what I don't have. <laughs> really, all of that is just created by this false sense of being which is nothing to do with a real being. So, the unmanifested state of Daiva. Together, these four constitute the instrumental Nimitta part of Prakriti. The rest of the items, the rest of the items in this commentary referring back to the verse, the rest of the items, i.e. Dravya, Kshetra, Prana, Atma, and Vikara, comprise its constituent, upadana, part. Here the word prana, vital force, has been taken by Sridhar to refer to sutra, or the first modification of prakriti endowed with active potency. Sutra is usually subsumed within the mahatattva, the cognitive potency, which is commonly accepted as the first modification of prakriti. So in this instant, what he's saying is Sridhar Swami is referring to to pradhan or prana, prana in the prana from the verse, as being the first manifestation of a actual constituent aspect of pradhana. So pradhana is like just this energy, unmanifested material energy, potential, potentiality, I guess you could call it. When the Lord takes all that energy in, then it just sits there in an unmanifested form, but it, it still contains all the potentialities, both collective in the whole manifestation of the material universe and universes, and all the constituents therein, including the material bodies of and the accumulated karma of the living entities. So they're all situated in in Pradhan, which is as yet to manifest. It just has its unmanifested potentiality resting in Karna Dakshai Vishnu, if we're talking about the, the the total wrap-up of all the material energy. So the Lord manifests, all the universes come forth from him. Then they all go back to him. And then Pradhana sits there with this, it's this unmanifested potentiality. There's no, it's not like there's an individual element there. There's no elements there. There's, you know, all the elements come later as the universe is manifest. And here, when we're talking of Sutra, we're talking about you know, just the, the most subtlest. We start, we're starting here with the simplest manifestation of that pradhana, prana. So in pradhana, the living entities are not individual 
and you're good yet. They never lose their individual status, but yes, from a if you were looked at, they're not manifested in any form. Yeah, there's no form there. They're just and there's no there's no attachment even to the living entities of it's the purest you're going to get in, until you're in the transcendental plane entirely. So in other words, you're not even your karma is completely suspended. You're in a state of suspended animation, and all those, all the constituents, both subtle and gross, which make up a material existence, you don't have any any connection with like, those. Like a seed, kind of like everything. Like yeah, like a seed, but we're we're thinking. We're thinking again. We try to measure and how how big is it and where is it? You know, you know, like that. Like sometimes that's the way you think, or I think at least. You think of well, all the jivas, but actually all the jivas are just with Super Soul at that time, in you his Karna Daksha. Uh, yeah, like the sun. Nothing. All the particles are just are in the sun. All the different wave forms that become the energy. Yes, all that. Here, we're just talking that very first, first little uh, stirring. It's explained in the commentary that Jiva's going to explain this more as we go more into into the Anachetas. I think. Uh, anyway, it's 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 down the line a little way that he'll explain this aspect of Sutra. So whatever we think of Sutra, we'll find out what he thinks of Sutra then. Uh, the jiva, or conditioned self, is here said to, in, to include both Namita and Upadan. Because it is delimited by both gross and subtle bodies, the Namita part, in the form of Daiva, Karma, and Swabhav, is located within the subtle body, which is a product of the Upadan, part of Maya. Kala influences both the subtle and gross bodies. So, interesting just to hear here that really the Namita or the, the causal aspect of Maya is within the subtle body, but the subtle body is Upadan. It's still, it's still, the, it's still the material constituent. It's just very subtle matter. Mind, intelligence, false ego. So the, the potentialities that are being discussed here, which are the, the instrumental parts of Maya, are, are within the subtle energies of the jiva. Mind, intelligence, false ego, the subtle body. But there's those themselves are material. But the Namita aspects are are clinging. And yeah, they're 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 actu right actuating. actuating is a good word. Yes, actuating those aspects of the subtle body. Jiva Goswam Sri Jiva comments that Namita also pervades the Upadan cause. Namita, okay, just like we're saying, it activates it. There is a subtle element called Aham Tattva or Ahankar, 
which is part of the upadan cause, since it, it, it constitutes the subtle body. False ego constitutes the subtle body. So false ego is, in that regards, an element. Intelligence is an element. The mind is an element. Very subtle, but considered by the sages and the seers and the studiers of, of, of scripture and those that put but still we can't say that they in and of themselves in and of themselves they're the seats of these particular activators which would be karma which would be destiny which would be swabhava nature but the I consciousness, ahambhava, within this aham, is a namita cause, being the agency behind all action. This I consciousness is a product of the avidya potency of Maya. This is stated in the verse cited from the third canto. Remember earlier when we read the Anacheta, there was a verse from the third canto where the constituents were explained and what what was used was the Sridhar Swami commentary on the one regarding false ego. The three aspects, Adi Atmik, Adi Daivik, and Adi Baltic. So, so those are aspects of Ahankara? There are the aspects of all the different all the all the different manifestations of the different senses. Okay. okay. So all the different senses, both the subtle, the, all the way from the most subtle ability to sense, adi-atmic, adi-divic, the fact that the senses and the interaction of the sense with the sense object is effectuated by higher authority. If the higher authority doesn't doesn't play his part or her part, the demigod, then we can't hear, we can't see, we can't smell. So, in ex so that was ex that's explained in the Adiatmic, Adidivic, and Adibaltic, the seat of the sense. We have ears, we have a nose, we have eyes. So we have an instrument. So that's also the Adi Baltic is, is often referred to as the actual uh, ingredient that, the, that, that we perceive. Whatever it may be. So let's say Adi Baltic would be the sound itself. The Adi Divic would be the fact that the sound has a medium by which and a, and a methodology by which it interacts with the physical constituent of a body and gives us a, a, a sense of hearing. So we have a gross sense and then we have the, the subtle sense. So uh, Adi Baltic's also uh, 
sometimes referred to the Tan Mantra, the object of the sense. This I consciousness is a product of the avidya potency of Maya. So, again, the next Anacheta will explain the vidya and avidya energies of Maya. Again, they're not our energies. <laughs> right? They're not our energies. But the material energy exerts knowledge and ignorance upon us within the environment. Okay, this verse forms part of a series describing the appearance of the cosmic body, which has three aspects, namely Adiyatma, the physical, the physical or cognitive instrument of knowing or acting, the Adidivic, the cosmic or higher order facilitation of sensory or cognitive operations, and Adibhuta, the physical function or object. So here, Adi Buddha, is, they're not saying as far as the, the seat, they're saying the Adi Buddha is the actual object of perception. Adi Atma refers to the ten senses in the mind, Adi Daivik to the presiding deities of these senses, and Adi Buddha to their objects. The structure of all the verses in this series is similar with respect to the cases used for the three aspects mentioned above. Sridhar Swami, while commenting on the first of them, 3rd Canto, 6th chapter, 12th verse, explains that each verse describes one of the cosmic person's senses. As an example, the following verse can be considered. So this is a bit of an explanation of what we're talking about. The guardian of the world, this is the verse from the Bhagavatam, Agni entered the seat of the individuated mouth or the cosmic of the cosmic person along with a portion of his, Agni's, power of speech by means of which the jiva is endowed with the sense of what is to be said. So, that's just for the, our ability to speak. So now, the, this same thing applies. The speaking ability is, we have our knowledge acquiring senses, five, and we have our five action senses. So speech falls in the action part. So no, whatever it may be, both, Knowledge acquiring, cognitive, hearing, seeing, smelling, tasting, touching. These are all knowledge acquiring. And then we have our active senses, the active sense of, of uh, speaking, touching, procreation, evacuation, and moving from one place to another. So, five action senses and five knowledge acquiring senses. So, for both the knowledge acquiring and the acting senses, this same formula applies as to Adi Atmic, Adi Divic, and Adi Baltic. 
then there's a bit here which I'm not going to read which explains how the construction of these verses leads us to the understanding of what's being said because of the different use of the Sanskrit language in referring to each of the three constituents. Uh, so you're talking about the Inus principle? No. We're talking about the general principle of the the different functions in the Bhagavatam we're talking about the cosmic universal form but it's just used as a as a template for our to understand the individuated jiva so let's just stick with the idea of the individual jiva the individual jiva has cognitive knowledge acquiring senses and it has working senses each of those senses is constructed in a particular way. It's constructed in a way where the demigod in charge of the particular aspect, and then we have the sense, this, the the gross and the subtle sense object, and then we have the object of the senses within the material realm. So, as a way of explanation, this section of the Bhagavatam explains all of that. What happened is Jiva Goswami took one verse from there referring in referring to the, the false e- ego. How did we, the Jiva, get the false ego? Well, it's coming from Shiva is the demigod in charge of false ego and the false ego sits within, you know, the, the sense of I-ness. Adi-Atmik sits within the, the very subtle Upadan ingredient of false ego. Mind intelligence, false ego. And what's the object of false ego? Well, it's it's pretty broad. You know, it's not like it's very subtle. It's it's overwhelming in comparison to the other knowledge acquiring and working senses. It's a much more broad thing. Does that well, yeah, it's not on another level. It's part of our body. It's just subtle, you know. It's not like it's not like the knowledge acquiring or the or the active senses. It's mind, intelligence, false ego. It's yeah, those stay with the living entity in the material realm whenever they're in the material realm. When they go from one body to another, they're still there. If you leave behind those lower senses, you get new ones. Yeah, <laughs> you would get a new body, and the new body would give you a new, a new working and 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 knowledge acquiring senses. Yes, so just perfectly situated for the environment that you're placed in, which could be in a lower or a higher body. Yes. I'm sorry. So the sense of eyes sits in the ahankara that's the adiatmic stage or, or state or that's the adiatmic aspect of the eye consciousness is, the, is in the ahankara yeah yes and so it has an adi daivik which is shiva shiva yeah and then an adi baudik which would be what like my personality or, or, or 
Well, it would be your in the particular in, in in reference to a hunkar, false ego. It's the sense of I-ness. Okay. Your the sense of I-ness by which you relate to everything within material nature. Okay. So it's not an individuated thing like the seeing or the hearing or the smelling. It's an overall sense of your sense of being within the environment. This is what I am. I'm a man. I'm a woman. I'm this culture. I'm that culture. I'm a tree. I'm a fish. I'm a dog. You know, we have sense of being. So that sense of being for the living entity is coming about in the very subtle aspect of false ego. It has nothing to do with us. It has to do with our relating with something that isn't us. <laughs> In conclusion, the physical organ, such as the mouth, is the locus. The presiding deity is the sense of the sense faculty is the adidaiva. The sense faculty that functions through the physical organ with the assistance of the presiding deity is the adiatma. And the physical function related to a particular gross element, Mahabhuta, is the Adi Bhuta. There's the conclusion. Now, to Ahankar. And maybe this will explain it, but it's terse, so we'll just walk through it. According to this scheme, the word Atmanam, the individuated self, is the seat and has thus been understood as a hunkar or the material element of ego that evolves out of the mahatattva. So now we're talking this evolvement. Now we have from the, the mahatattva we have this upadan constituent uh, which is it's a material element referred to as the ego. Abhiman, self-identity, is the presiding deity, Adi Daiva, Rudra. Presiding deity is Rudra of that ego, who takes his seat in this ahankar, false ego. So he takes his seat there. Karmana which is in the instrumental case, again back to the Sanskrit, which if I'd read through there, we could, is the physical, not physical, physical, physical instrument, Adi Atma, here refers to Ahamvriti, or I consciousness, which also has its seat in Ahankar. Yeah, it was. It read a little different. Karmana, which is the instrumental case, it's in the instrumental case, is the physical instrument, Adi Atma. Here refers to Ahamvriti, or I consciousness, which also has its seat in Ahankar. Kartavya, 
that which is to be done refers to the physical function, adibhuta, that is meant to be accomplished. The ahankar, which is a material element, is the upadan karana, constituent cause. And ahamvritti, which is the sense of doership predominated by one of the three gunas of maya, is the minita karana, the instrumental cause. The ahamvritti is within ahankar like an electric current in a wire. The false sense of self is like the energy. We give our consciousness, adi atmic, we are conscious of what we think we are within the material world. All this, all the other things are coming about because of that energy, of that sense. Remember, the living entity is what? It's only consciousness. That's what we are. Well, primarily. I mean, as far as we're not material in any way. So we're the, we're the energy, the electricity that makes all that work. Not all of it. Because there's also a deity there. Shiva, in this particular instance, that's overriding how it how well it's it's his it's his domain this is the way false ego functions it functions under his direction so that sense of i-ness he sits he he's the directing agent the diva the deity that presides over the energy that we put into our false sense of being. He makes sure it's conducted properly. Just as the sun god makes sure that our seeing is conducted properly according to our sense of sight. That's not always the same with every living entity. Right? The seeing of a dog is different than the seeing of a human, which is different than the seeing of an elephant, which is different than the seeing of a, you know, a fish. Yes, well, that's another thing. That's so. So all that—that's just to give us a sense. This is all just meant to give us a sense, and specifically when it comes into into the false ego, which is the subtlest of the subtle. How do we get involved? We get involved just like what do we do? We give it shape through our conscious energy. And then it plays out in this most subtle aspect of the jiva's material body, no matter what that body may be. And it's there's 8,400,000 species. What to speak of all the different modifications within those species. So it's a very, very, well, it's like a banyan tree. It's so intertwined, but... False egos, really, you know, we're talking the subtlest of the subtle. If we can kind of grasp what Jeeva's saying here, what, how much of it is us? How much is, you know, we don't even make. The false ego itself 
has a material aspect which is so subtle, it's like inconceivable. When we, took, when we think of mind, intelligence, and false ego, how subtle are they? How can you, I mean, even ether. How, how subtle is ether that carries sound? More subtle than the air that we breathe to survive on is the ether that carries sound vibrations that we hear. So it's, you know, it's extremely a very, you know, I mean, you think, you think of vibration. And when we, when we, if we go back to our basic education of energy in elementary school or whenever it was there, you know, it was always this understanding in, of, in basic science of, of the movement of energy. And you had, you know, the, the, you could see things or you could hear things because there was a vibration of energy. So, and the vibration of energy was, was well beyond the capacity of our particular sense, no matter what it would be. The vibration of energy that, that, can, that allows us to see well, we only see in a certain field of vision. We only see a certain part of the spectrum of light, of the energy that they consider light, which includes, you know, uh, X-rays and ultraviolet, where, where, you know, just so many that we can't even see are there within that. What to speak of sound? We can hear a small bit of the spectrum of the energy of sound that's there within the universe. That's subtle. Now we go subtler in that. The subtle is right, subtle, subtlety of sound, and that is riding an ether. Then, where do we go? Mind. Mind. How subtle is the mind? The the thinking of the thinking within the brain. Well, the brain is the is the is the physical physical aspect you know but the the brain waves and they try to measure them with you know they actually think they they're measuring brain waves they've got instruments and they're you know they're putting you in there and and they're using they're using light energy to analyze what's happening in your brain but that's the that's the grossest physical aspect of it oh well they're their frontal lobe is not active. They can see in a, in a scan, you know, they put you in a big tube. What do you call that? MRI. Yeah, something like, yeah. Yeah. They try to see it with some en other energy. They use, they, they bombard you with radioactive <laughs> energy and try to see what's working in your mind. But that has, you know, is that really what's working in the mind? It's an entirely different aspect. That's a psychologist. They'd say, well, that doesn't, I can't get anything from that. I can see maybe they can tell you because they've been able to prod the mind with probes and say, well, this is, this is where your hearing is. This is where your seeing is. This side and that side. One side is what? The one side of your brain. Left side, yeah, I forget what the functions. I don't ever knew. Don't forget them. I never knew them. But anyway, you know what I'm saying. So that's the mind. 
than the intelligence. How much subtler is the intelligence? The you know, how much subtler is that? Then we're talking false ego. So this is the kind of if you look at this anucheta and what Jiva's done here by saying, look at this one verse. That, fee, that, that the fever weapon offered to Krishna. Look at this other verse from the third canto where we're talking about false ego and how it sits within the material body. And from this, try to get an idea of what, how, how pervasive, both in a gross and a subtle manner, my maya is. And how it works. So that's what we're we're getting an introduction. This is the way Krishna's Maya is working. And now in the next Anucheta, it's going to be broken down even more. It's like I get it when you explain it all like that. It all kind of makes it's when you get into these terms, Nimitta and Upadan and this, that, and that. Well, there's a language. Totally throws me. I can't relate that to. Yes, but you have no trouble at all with relating with the terminology of rasa. I don't. <laughs> well, when Swami talks, how many terms does he use? When it comes to rasa and all the different ways that that you know, there, this terminology is there. In Rasa, it's nice. It's a language of love. The Bhagavatam speaks to us in, in different voices. They, the Bhagavatam speaks with us as a as a king would speak to a subject, as a friend would speak with a friend, and with a as as a lover would speak to a lover. So, this is the this is probably more of the kingly presentation, you know. So yeah, I agree. It's it's it's. You know, but this terminology will gradually come to us if we just walk away with a few terms. What we need to walk away with more than the terminologies is what is the sense. Yeah, it's not us. <laughs> yeah. So that finishes the fifty-third Anacheta. Thank you so much for your association. <laughs>